0: Welcome to Gateway. We're glad that you're all here with us this morning. My name is Brian Dillon, and I am the campus minister here at Gateway Taze Valley. Uh, It's good to see all of you here. My family and I, we were on uh, a vacation this past week. You can decide whether it was well-deserved or not, but uh, we went either way, and uh, we went uh, to a little mountain retreat. I'll get back to that later, but it's good uh, to be back in town and be with you all here this morning. You know, last week we finished up our Pray for One Summer Edition series, uh, and hopefully you were here to enjoy that. You can always catch those online if you missed any of those messages. Uh, earlier in the summer, we did a series called Themes of Genesis, and during that, we said that later in the summer, which starting next week, we're going to be covering the book of Revelation. And so uh, starting next week, we're going to cover, uh, start a series on Revelation because it, we believe that if we can get the beginning of the book figured out a little bit and make sense a little bit of the end of the book, well, maybe the middle of the book, uh, middle of the Bible, will make a little bit more sense for us. And so we hope you'll join us uh, next week for that. That means today, though, we have just a standalone sermon, and we're going to be talking about... Before, think about these things before hitting send. And I'm glad that we had the graphics and the screens because when I talked to the worship team about what we were talking about today, uh, they thought I said before hitting send without the D, okay? And uh, they thought that was a whole different sermon. And, and so we're before hitting send, okay, uh, is what we're talking about today. You know, believe it or not, this year the iPad became a teenager. You want to feel old? The iPad is now a teenager. Uh, 13 years ago, Steve Jobs officially introduced the iPad on January 27th, 2010. And over that time, It has evolved, and now Apple claims that it can replace your laptop. You can attach a keyboard to it. you got a little Apple Pencil, and it can completely replace your uh, Windows laptop, right? That's what they have. They have many versions. They have... Pro versions, they have all kinds of versions of the iPad. And it's, its popularity has also inspired other tablets, like the Kindle Fire, which many young kids, mine included, used to play games on and watch TV on. You know, for those of a certain generation, the TV was your babysitter, or maybe the Nintendo, the Kindle Fire is now the babysitter. Uh, God help us all, right? Uh, three years prior to the iPad, Steve Jobs introduced the first iPhone and what a revolutionary day that was sometime prior prior to that the laptop was was introduced and the personal computer and all of these things put at our fingertips the ability to communicate to the entire world online and needless to say our fingers have been very busy ever since. Now how many of you I have to, I figured I had to change this. How many of you have ever taken a typing class in school, middle school, high school? I was told after the first service that for those of you that may be over a certain age, there I, I said keyboarding class first service and apparently there was no keyboarding class for some of you. It was a a type typing class. And so, uh, so as not to confuse you, uh, that's what we're talking about here. If I were to say the letters A-S-D-F-J-K-L semicolon, that might sound like a random group of letters. But if you ever took a typing or keyboarding class, you know that's your home. That's where your fingers rest to get started. I myself have a little, a little bit of a wonky finger, so the semicolon, a little bit of a challenge for me, but I, I'm getting through it, okay? Okay. Uh, Nowadays, though, there are kids who can type faster with two thumbs and an iPhone than my typing instructor could ever type with ten fingers and a keyboard and, and you know what that's awesome i 'm not downing any of that. I use technology myself i 'm not a- averse to technology at all. you know i 'm on the upper edge of the millennial generation. I used to not want to identify with millennials, and then the next generation came along and they were worse and I was like, oh, yep i'm a millennial that's cool uh, but Uh, But I was already out of high school when the iPhone was announced. I actually bought the first Android phone, the Motorola Droid. I was at Verizon Wireless the day it released because I wanted my hands on the newest tech. I used to be that way before I was married and have kids and, well, had somebody to answer to about how I spent my money. I used to buy all the newest tech. I I had it all, right? Right. I've always been a little bit of a tech nerd, and not only that, I've always been big into the early days of social media. So yes, I did have an amazing MySpace page, complete with, with the great background, and not just my top eight, no, no, I coded it so I could have a top 16, and how many of you remember the battles of over who was in your top eight, or 16, or four, or whatever, and who Wasn't, if only we could go back to that drama, right? But I had the the custom background and the music that played. I mean, it was awesome. Except then it became old news because everybody had a MySpace then. And so then it was like, man, let's go to Facebook. And so I had a Facebook when it was just still for college students before the rest of the world came and ruined it. Uh, and I, I had Twitter so early on that it, my my username is just my name with no numbers. I, that's how early I had it. I didn't have to attach any numbers to my name. It's just... My it's just my name, and I, I, you know I feel sorry for the the uh, author in Ireland that is much more famous than I that I constantly get credit for writing his essays. You know I've been using tech and social media for nearly half of my life, and so I'm not knocking all of this and advising that we should go all Amish when it comes to modern technology. But I am saying this, saying that we ought to think very carefully about what we are saying before hitting send. That's the title of the sermon this morning. Think about these things before hitting send. And in particular, think about whether the things that we are getting ready to post are, as the apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Are we thinking about these things before we hit sin? Are the things that we're hitting sin on true or honorable or just, pure, lovely? Are they commendable? Is there excellence within them? Is, are they worthy of praise? Are we thinking about those things before we hit sin? Or as a wise man once said, let's put our brain into gear before putting our mouth into motion. Maybe your mom would always tell you that you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. So shut it. No, she didn't. All right. Let's, let's think about the things, that we're, the, the, the things that we're putting out there before we go texting and tweeting and posting or reposting these things all across The internet. You know, it used to be if you wanted to send something halfway across the world, it would take days, weeks, or months, maybe years. Now, in a matter of seconds, you can put something out there and halfway across the world, they can read it just like that. You know, measure twice, cut once. That's the motto of any good carpenter and for good reason. Sometimes we catch ourselves before we make a mistake that we might not be able to take back. I myself have to measure five times and cut probably more than once, but you get the point, right? And we should take the same same advice when it comes to what we put out there. We should measure twice what we're about to say before we hit send. Olivia Newsy of The Daily Beast says, dance like no one is watching, email like it may one day be read aloud in a deposition. She said that in reference to what could be learned from the hack of nearly 20,000 emails of the Democratic National Committee prior to their national convention back in 2016. Emails that were shared with the rest of the world, no matter how private or personal those messages were meant to be when those people hit send. The whole world still saw them. You know, it's kind of scary when you think that every 24 hours, 205 billion emails are sent, 734,000 Facebook posts are posted, and every second of every day, nearly 6,000 tweets are tweeted across the internet, across the entire Twitterverse for them to see 500 million tweets every day. Elon Musk, he wonders how many of those tweets are made by bots, and I wonder how many of those tweets and texts and posts are now regretted and may never have been sent if only the sender had simply thought about what he or she was sending before they hit send. You know, there are fewer actions that do more damage with less effort than simply hitting send. Maybe pulling a trigger, but I think that's about it. There's great damage being done simply by hitting that little button. So let's talk about that. And specifically, let's talk about the filters that the Bible gives us to run our words through before hitting send or before saying them, for that matter. If you're somebody that's chosen not to, prevent, not to participate in the digital community, maybe you're off the grid, right? You're like, man, this doesn't apply to me. I, I'm not even online, man. You can't, you can't touch me with this. Well, listen, this has been going on for a lot longer than there's been the internet or Twitter or Facebook, because your words that you say with your mouth can still hurt. They can tear people down. They can break people apart or they can uplift and encourage. Your words have power. They don't have to appear on a computer screen to sting. They can hurt just as bad when they're spoken from your lips, when they are just talk. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your what? Your mouths, maybe a more modern translation would also say out of your fingers, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. He says in Ephesians 5, 4, let there, no, that there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And that's what we're here talking about this morning. We are talking about, well, Talk something we can do without the aid of a tablet or a smartphone, and something that Jesus said that we will all be held accountable for. The gospel writer Matthew records Jesus as saying it this way, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. That's the Greek word leo, which is the generic word for talk. It's translated speak 244 times in the New Testament, but six times it's translated as preach. And Jesus says people are going to be held accountable for every careless word that we speak, preachers included. So listen, this ain't just some easy job. I might only work one day a week, but I'm going to be held accountable, right? That's a joke. The one day a week thing. Anyway, Jesus continues on. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Man, am I the only one that reads that and shudders to think about all the words that I'm piling up? The landfill of words that have piled up behind me in my life, just waiting for me to be condemned for them. That on that day, that any one of those could be pulled out that I had to answer for. You know, the latest study that I could find says that men speak an average of 16,000 words a day and women 75,000. I'm just kidding. It's, it's about the same, right? It, 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 statistically, it's about it, the same. But 16,000 words for all of us for which we will all be held eternally responsible. Once you, it makes you want to speak less, right? Like if I could cut that down to like 25, that'd be great. I'll just start grunting like a caveman. I mean, these words, 16,000 come out of my mouth every day. There's over 3,000 words in this sermon alone. And I had to do it twice. So I'm looking at like 6,000, right? That's a scary thought that all of these are under the microscope, especially when the Bible warns that not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness because of the words that we say because of the words that we type, because words can hurt. Words have power. They have power to hurt, but they have power to help as well. And I'm sure, and I hope that many of my words have done at least an equal of those things. For as much as I might have hurt people, I hope that I have helped them as well. Words that I have spoken and words that I have posted. And here we're not just talking about talk anymore, but we're also talking about tech and all the words that have ever gone out from us on the internet. They stay there, right? You can't erase it with a pencil. You can't put white out over it, right? It's there once it's out there. You now, this sermon is going to be posted on online after we're done here. All of our sermons every week, the audio goes up online. For anybody to listen to, anytime they ever want ever want to if they missed it or if they stumble across it one day whatever it looks like our sermons in St. Albans they're on YouTube live in living color right they're on there an archive going years back and there it's going to sit for who knows how long for all the world to see or share or ignore should anyone in the world desire you know, I mentioned that my family and I went on vacation last week, and we went to a mountain resort in a place called Bayside, Virginia. I'd never heard of it, and if before last week, and if you'd never heard of it, well, I can't blame you. It's tucked into the mountains, a little off the beaten path of I eighty one, about an hour north of Harrisonburg, Virginia. And if you're a fan of national parks, and if you've ever been to the Shenandoah National Forest, well, it's nearby to where we stayed. And we were able to, as a part of our trip, able to hike the Appalachian Mountains in several different spots and just see the immense beauty of God's creation. Just 360 views, way up on top. It was uh, exhilarating and and terrifying with children all at the same time. Uh, Ruby got her diaper changed at the top of the mountain, and it was... She'll talk about it for years, I'm sure. Uh, You know, not many people live in Bozzie, Virginia. It's mostly farmland in the Shenandoah Valley there. And it felt like most people that you ran into were either farmers or tourists. Uh, you know, it was just a, a strange kind of out there. There were cornfields all over the place. Uh, it, it also had a very Atlantic Coast colonial feel. I don't know how many of you have ever lived or spent much time kind of on the East Coast there. But, you know, one, one thing about, uh, we, we lived in Maryland, in Hagerstown, Maryland, for two and a half years before we moved here and, and came to Gateway. And people are just different. There's a, there's a hospitality about West Virginia and the Midwest that just is not present Uh, on the East Coast, and you just kind of have to experience it to know, but I experienced it for three days, and I was like, I'm right back. Here we are. Like, people, they don't care. (laughs) They'll be nasty to you, Uh, and it's, it's just that part of the country. But it's not just the people that's different. It, from the the houses to the churches to the Civil War battlefields, you can just feel a sense of history there. It just fe- things just feel a little bit older there. Like there's a little bit more a uh, depth to everything. And it's interesting to see all of these old school churches, it seemed like on every corner, there's a little white church, one room uh, with the front doors, the only entrance and a bell right atop. The top. They all look the same, but they're Methodist, they're Baptist, they're brethren, you know, they're, they're different denominations, but they all look the same. And you can tell that they've been there for like over a hundred years. Maybe they house 50 people. And we went to one of those churches and, you know, it was a pretty amazing thing because as we walk up, man, we were greeted as if we were celebrities. The pastor comes out, he's in his 50s, but you walk, you walk in and he's like, oh man, you guys are not going to believe the reception that you're about to get. And you're like, I don't know what that means, but okay. And so we walk in there, and it's kind of an older crowd, but man, they are just overjoyed that these 11 people have come and doubled their attendance for that Sunday, right? Like they're looking at the graph, and there's going to be a big hump on that one day. They're like, whoa, right? Uh, but they treated us as if we were like old friends, and it was, it was great. It was great to be there. Uh, it was a great experience. You know, I got to be honest, leading up to vacation, the thought of going to a church in the middle of the mountains of Virginia, a little bit scary for me, right? I'm like, there's a lot that can happen in a a small mountain church where there's no like checks and balances here, right? Like they're just doing whatever, right? It's just the community church. And I was just really nervous. And I really felt like anything north of weird was gravy, right? Like, let's just stay north of weird. Let's talk about Jesus, read from the Bible, sing songs about him. Like, let's not like, it's not like bow down and worship the pastor. Like, that's what I'm hoping for. But it was great. It was a great experience. They were so happy to have us, and they were so kind and welcoming. The preacher even asked my father-in-law to close the service with a prayer, which was weird, but also awesome at the same time. And I tell you all of this to be funny, but also for a reason. Because here we are in this small mountain church, 30 people there, and they're streaming their service online. They sang happy birthday to a guy whose birthday it was who couldn't make it. So we all sang happy birthday to a guy online. They held the cupcakes up. Uh, Okay, we're we're on that weird line, right? Anyway, but... but, but they were doing it. And then he kept talking about, well, this will be on YouTube after this. And he kept praying for those that might see this years in advance on YouTube or listen to this sermon years in advance. He was preparing for God to move in a way in the future that you might not be able to see now. That people would stumble across this because it's going to be online forever. He recognized in that moment, in this small church, that it will be there forever. He was praying for the people that would randomly stumble upon this church's sermons because God directed them there. And I don't know if we realize the weight of our words online. Do we realize that people do that? Some people are scrolling through this and that, going down different rabbit trails, and sometimes they will actually stop and read what you have to post I don't know if you've ever gotten the random eight notifications when you wake up in the morning where somebody liked your photos from eight years ago, and you were like, you were up to something. You got taken down a path last night, right? Like, why were you doing that in the middle of the night, right? And so people are going to see the things that we posted or reposted. Some of us have reposted fake news, thinking that it was real. And I hope that you know that you posted fake news, because there might be some of you here this morning that don't know that you posted fake news, right? Right? You saw this original story that you somehow got a hold of, and and it was all from the get-go, just written as satire or as a joke. (coughs) Or worse yet, in our world today, Russian propaganda, right? We got attacks from all sides. And we reposted it it as if it was something that actually happened, but it didn't. It never happened. And worse yet, you might never know that you helped spread something that wasn't true. Friends, we need to be careful what we post or repost on the internet. We need to be able to discern what is true and what is not, whether we should post it or not. And we should need to be careful about how we post what we post. In Ephesians 4 5, Paul tells Christians to speak the truth in love. In Colossians 4, 6, he says to let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Yes, there are things that need to be said, answers that need to be given with gentleness and respect, and we need to become proficient in what those answers are. But that's not the proficiency that we're being told to develop here. We're not being told to develop the knowledge of what to answer to each person, but rather how to answer each person. Paul says to do it in love, always gracious and seasoned with salt. And that's what's going to make our answers stand out from the rest of the world. Not just that your answers are right, because let's be honest, everybody online thinks that their answers are right. That's why we get into arguments. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm more right, right? That's That everybody thinks that they're right. But not everyone presents their answers in the same truthful, loving, gracious way. That's where Christians should be shining. That's where we should stand apart and how we present, not what we present. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5 when he said that you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? <laughs> Our world is not only watching to see what you post, but they're paying real hard attention to see how you post it as well. And that ought to be where we as Christians shine. That ought to be where we stand apart, how we present these things. And that leads us to the last thing to be said this morning, and that is the testimony that we leave behind. Every time we hit send on something, every time we hit post on something, we leave a digital footprint of where we've been, a footprint that we might never be able to have scrubbed clean. It's there forever. I mean, you can delete a tweet, but these days people are quick to screenshot and have receipts on what you said. You can screenshot anything these days, so you you might be able to get rid of your post, but it's still going to be there. It's all there forever for all the world to see, for future generations to see, for your kids and your grandkids to see, and to make up their minds as to what kind of testimony that we have left behind. I like the way that Andy Stanley says it. He says, When your grandkids tell your story, what story do you want them to tell? When future generations tell your story, what story do you want them to tell? And so let's be honest. Do you want your legacy to be how you really stuck it to that one guy on the internet? You really got him good. Do you hope that the eulogy that's read at your funeral will be a record of all the sick burns you shared against the other political party? Do you want your tombstone to read, here here lays Jim. He owned Iceman 97767 that one time, really good. Is that how you want to be known and remembered? See, these days, your online persona is just as much, if not more, of a testimony of your character than who you are in person. You know, the people who you know in person that have known you for a long time, they might say, man, he's one of the kindest, most sweetest people. But if you're nasty online, you'll be remembered for that just as much. I think there are some of us here this morning that think that online, whatever presence you have online is all just for fun. It's some kind of game. It doesn't matter. It's, it's fake, right? It's not real. Nobody pays attention, Like your online and social media presence don't matter. Like that's the only logical reason I can think for why some Christians post and share some of the things that they do. Like, oh, nobody's gonna remember any of this. But people are paying attention. You can be sure that people are watching and you're leaving a testimony of whether, whether you believe it or not, you are leaving a testimony behind that future generations will see. And do you realize that your testimony can be checked out And verified or discredited on the internet. By pasting together all the postings that you've left behind, you're leaving a testimony. You know, we obviously live in a world that is increasingly going against the teachings of the Bible. We live in a world that wants freedom without discipline. And when you venture out online, man, it's the Wild West out there. It's easy to find people who will upset you with their beliefs and their lifestyle. Man, isn't it hard not to lash out at them and just tell them how wrong they really are? Oh, man, you got to know. I have to tell you. Let me give you an example. Near the beginning of June, there was a bit of an uproar surrounding the Tampa Bay Rays uh, Major League Baseball organization. June is, of course, Pride Month, and many Major League Baseball teams had a Pride Night to celebrate that community. The Tampa Bay Rays chose to put a rainbow-colored version of their logo on their hats as as a way to celebrate Pride Night. And a few of their players, they refused to wear the patch, citing their Christian beliefs as the reason why. They didn't demonize anybody. They didn't tell anyone that they were going to hell if they didn't correct their ways. They simply said, I'm not going to wear that patch because I don't feel like, because of my faith, I can't support Friday night. I'm just not going to wear the patch. Well, as you can imagine, these players were taken to task, especially on social media, for their bigotry and their closed-mindedness. And as much as I've tried, tried to scale back on Twitter these days because, well, I don't need any more drama or negativity in my life, I happened to catch somebody that I follow saying that they were so over people hiding behind the Bible and Christianity to hide their homophobic views. And certainly, there have been many Christians over the years who have wrongfully used the Bible to spread hate against the LGBTQ community, but that wasn't what was happening here. And this person I saw post, he got my blood boiling because he said, well, I've been through the religious classes in the Catholic church, and I've never seen anything that say homosexuality is wrong, that it's a sin. Like, because I, like, I'm the religious expert. I went through my commitment class and my baptism class, and they didn't talk about homosexuality there, so everybody's wrong when they say that. Oh, man, I was getting upset. And my thumbs, they started itching. I started typing out a reply tweet certainly faster than my typing teacher ever could type in that class. And I was going to really stick it to this guy Mike from New York City. And then, and then I realized that I was never actually going to do anything. I was never actually going to convince this guy that I've never met or never talked to, I have no influence over, no relationship with, that he was seeing it the wrong way. And thank God I stopped. And I thought about some of these very things that were being told to think about this morning before I hit send. Because my Christian testimony, the testimony that I leave behind for my kids, for my grandkids, and for the future generations, man, that's at stake as well. Because as much as I would have been, oh, it felt like I was in the right, right? And I could stand on the Bible and I could tell this guy the truth. It's just out there. It's just out there for people to see. And that's what we're being told to think about this morning. And if you're a Christian, you're obligated to think about these things. It's not an option. If you're a Christian, if you you follow Christ with your life, you're obligated to follow these things before you hit sin, before you say anything. Think about the kind of Christian or unchristian testimony you'd be leaving behind when we don't think about these things first. Now, if you're not a Christian, I've got good news. <laughs> because you're under no obligation to do anything. You're free from this. You're under no obligation to think before you speak. You can say whatever you want to say. You might even point to your freedom of speech guaranteed in the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, and your freedom to say whatever you want to say without thinking about anything before you say it. But even then, even if that's you, and you're free from that obligation, I would ask you to consider if that really is the kind of world... That you want to live in? Is it really the kind of world that you want to raise your kids in, that you want to be a part of, that everybody just says everything without thinking or being considerate of anybody else? You know, it hasn't been that long ago that the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court had to admonish what he called the greatest deliberative body in the world to speak civilly to one another. Man, doesn't it just feel like we've lost all civility in our world and in our society? Nobody can speak civilly with those that they don't agree with anymore, those that they don't see eye to eye with anymore. If the U.S. Senate needs to be reminded to speak civilly to each other from time to time, well, maybe the rest of us need that reminder as well. Maybe the whole world would be a better place if we could just start with some civility, Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes there aren't some harsh things that need to be said. I'm not saying that we sit down and become doormats for everybody that goes up against us. But even then, Christians are told everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And to keep this sermon from going any longer than it already has... A lot better preachers than I have tried to sum up what the Bible says about all of this by encouraging Christians to do three things, to ask themselves three questions before they hit send or before the words come out of their mouth, before saying anything at all, to ask, is it true, to ask, is it kind, and to ask, is it even necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it even necessary? And maybe then we can leave such a Christian testimony behind that we can say with the Apostle Paul, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If we're leaving behind an unchristian testimony, you cannot say that. You don't want them, you don't want the future generation to practice the things that you have practiced. You know, I've gone through several computers in my life. I've worn out keyboards. I do a lot of typing, and I can wear the paint off of those keys in a hurry. And those who know me best are not surprised to learn that the first key that wears out on my keyboard is the backspace key. Always the backspace key, because I make a lot of mistakes. When I'm typing, that backspace key, man, that's getting a lot of work, even with my wonky finger, right? I try to stretch it up there, and I do my best, right? And that backspace key, it's like a magic wand, isn't it? Poof, it's gone. It's like it never was. And that's why the laptop has always been better than like a typewriter. It's always been better than these other things because you, it's like there's no evidence that there was ever anything there. I make a mistake and all I have to do is reach up with my pinky and it never existed. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could do that with some of the words that we've said? If we could do that with some of the posts that we put out there that we've shared some of the things we've said against other people. See, we can delete our words a lot of times. We can delete a post, but the effect that we have, that our words had, the power that our words had over that person we said it to, will never be forgotten. After the bell's rung, it's pretty hard to unring it. After the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't stuff it back in, right? People remember those things, and they may forgive you, but it's real hard to forget. But that's what Christians are being told to do. That's why we're being told to do these things, to think about these things before we hit sin, to think about the power that our words have, that the the testimony that we're leaving behind, that it would be a loving testimony, that we would be gracious and we would be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love. And I thank you that that love led to your son Jesus coming and, and dying on the cross for each one of us so that our sins would be forgiven. So that when I make mistakes, they can be forgiven. They can be wiped clean. That my sins can have a backspace key because of Jesus. Because he went to the cross, the spotless lamb went to the cross for each one of us. That when I mess up and I do actions that are sinful and disobedient to you, they can be forgiven. When I say things against other people online or in person, when I hurt them and I tear them down, that they can be forgiven because of Jesus. Father, I thank you for the freedom from sin that comes from that. But this morning, I pray that each of us would not use that freedom would not use that amazing grace to go on sin anymore, that we would leave our life of sin and we would think about these things before we hit sin. And that we would, in all the things that we do, in all of our interactions, in person, online, whatever it looks like, that we would be loving and we would be gentle, that we would be humble. And we would follow not just the words of Paul, but the words of Jesus, that we would love our neighbors the way that he loves us, that we would forgive as he has forgiven us, that we would treat others the way that we want to be treated. Father, I I thank you that we can come to you with these things. And Father, I I pray that we would go from here this morning and, and just... We would live differently. We would speak differently to people. And we would pay attention to how we are speaking to people. And realize just how powerful our words can be. And we would seek to uplift people and encourage people and love on people with our words. And we think about these things before we hit send. Father, I thank you for your immense love and for your son Jesus and the amazing grace that comes through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just talked about how there was good news because you are under no obligation to do any of these things. You're free from this. There is no expectation on you. But as I say that, the problem is when there's no relationship with Jesus, then there's no eternity in heaven. And the world might tell you a lot of different things, that there's different options, different ways to get there, but Jesus is the only way. That relationship with him, yeah, you might get an obligation to speak in different ways to people and handle your interactions with people. But it's the greatest gift. It's the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. I think it's worth the trade-off. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with him, I'd love to talk to you about it, that you can submit to him, devote your life to him from this day forward to make him the king of your life and be plunged into the waters of baptism to come out a new creation. So if you don't have that relationship today, there's no better day than, de- than right now to make that decision. So I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you need prayer this morning, you know, if you've ever been in the mountains, you've ever been anywhere, right? You go on vacation and you just admire the immense beauty of this earth. And you think, man, God created all that. But what makes it even more special to me is that the God that did all of that wants a relationship, a personal relationship, which little old me, and because of that, he gives us this gift of prayer that we can bring all of our cares and anxieties and lay them on him, all the things that we're dealing with, all the baggage, all the burdens, and we can give it over to him through the, this powerful gift of prayer. And so I'd love to pray with you this morning. If there's something that's going on in your life, I'd love to pray with you, stand next to you as we lift it up to God. So if you have a decision to make or you just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. But I ask that we all stand and sing our final song together now.